welcome to this podcast of the Los Angeles Review of Books. My name is Arne de Boever. I am the editor of the Philosophy Critical Theory section of the Review. Today we're hosting Statis Gurguris. Statis is professor of classics, English, and comparative literature, and director of the Institute of Comparative Literature and Society at Columbia University in New York. He is also a poet. His publications include Dream Nation, Enlightenment, Colonization, and the Institution of Modern Greece, Does Literature Think? Literature as Theory for an Anti-Mythical Era, and as editor, Freud and Fundamentalism. He is with us today to talk about his most recent book, Lessons in Secular Criticism. Stathis, welcome. Thank you, Arne. It's a real pleasure. I should say welcome back, actually. You were a student in Los Angeles, if I was correctly informed. You've uh, thought here for many years. Is the bond to the city still strong? Absolutely. You know, I've had several lives uh, in Los Angeles. I was born, actually, in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, in fact. Though I grew up in Athens, uh, my parents went back when I was nine months old. And then I was back here as a student uh, in the 70s and then uh, in the 80s. Uh, different era. It was you know, a very exciting time for me. And then I came back uh, a few years ago in 2005 uh, as a professor at UCLA uh, for a, a short stint, three years, while sort of traveling back and forth uh, to New York. And um, yes, bonds are, are very tight and I always love uh, coming to Los Angeles. It, uh, you know, it feels like home to me in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of your other homes uh, that you mentioned is Greece, of course. I know you still actively participate in public life over there. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, the broader context of your book, Lessons in Secular Criticism. It opens with slogans from the 2008 youth insurrection in Athens and other Greek cities. And in the last chapter of the book, uh, where you write about what you ironically, ironically call the deregulation of the political, you discuss uh, the financial crisis, Occupy Wall Street, the Arab Spring, and this in fact returned me to the slogans with which the book opened. Is this book in a way a response to the economic crisis of 2008 and the kind of world that it has produced? Yes, except that I'm not in an absolute direct sense. I mean, there is a, 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 a philosophical project, uh, perhaps even a scholarly project that's ongoing. And um, like all things, uh, all writings, you know, things happen in the world that we live in. And uh, the, uh, the events of 2008 which precede the crisis, in some ways they announce it. And has, has, this has not been discussed enough. It was a, a very intense uh, period of two months uh, where uh, very young uh, people, high school uh, age, uh, um, conducted an extraordinary uh, rebellion. It was joined by various other people, university students, immigrants. Um, it was a bit violent, uh, and uh, but it was also a sense of, there's a certain kind of poetic explosion, what we might say, uh, essentially addressing the fact that their generation was facing a dead end uh, in terms of their future, and that, that all those culpable, their parents primarily, uh, and of course all uh, other uh, you know politicians and and a certain uh, sort of class of of Greeks that had uh, taken advantage of uh, some of the luxuries that the European Union afforded um, to the detriment, of course, of society were called into question, and so um, that was a, it's an inspiring inspiring moment uh, for me, uh, and I think that it did. Uh, 
even influence in a direct sense, but in a sense of resonance. Some of the things we saw later on, uh, including uh, Egypt and Tunisia, I remember in, in those days reading in blogs, uh, Arab youth saying that this is an example for us, that the way the Greek youth responded, we need to respond to our leaders. So there, it is a direct connection. I'm not saying that it was, uh, that, that Tahrir Square was inspired by December 2008 in Greece, but all of these things resonate together, you know, then the, the assembly movement in Spain and, 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 and in Athens and uh, uh, subsequently Occupy a movement in this country and then even we see this continuing, you know, the, the, the events in Brazil and even in uh, Istanbul this last summer, all of these things are part of a kind of general phenomenon of... Uh, political uh, uh, rebellion, but also a demand to rethink the political in different ways uh, and, and in, in ways different than the institutional framework that exists. So, so in a sense, this other project that I was thinking um, in some ways uh, in my head, but also in conversation with friends, um, I felt that it had to be uh, uh, not grounded, it had to be framed in some fashion, staged in some fashion, in, in, in light of these events. Mm -hmm. So the book changed as a result. And I think I welcome these kinds of interventions, let's say, from, from uh, the world that we live in, 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 in the course of our writing. I think right. that's very important. Some of the material that's in the book you've obviously been working on for a long time. Could you talk a little bit about the particular occasion that enabled you to bring uh, those different texts together uh, in this book? Yes, a couple of years ago I was asked to give the State Library Lectures in Sydney, in Australia. It was a very prestigious event, which was, these are public lectures for the general audience, not just academic audience. It involved also on the side interviews on the radio, and the lectures themselves were broadcast on Australian public radio. And... This raised an issue for me about how to address audiences that are not academic and in, in, in ways where sometimes what is very, let's say, specialized uh, knowledge uh, can be, um, can be uh, presented in, in a way that exceeds that kind of specialization so that people who don't, don't have that kind of background can engage with it. So that was a challenge because it goes in some ways against the academic training, which I welcome, but it, it is it is a challenge. And um, that enabled me to see a project that I was conducting for almost 10 years and which had already exceeded its bounds and, and changed. Uh, it enabled me to see it from um, from another angle and, and to write about it in another language. Uh, so the book is in, in primarily a result of these lectures, although there are uh, some added pieces to round it out, uh, pieces that were written in, in some ways similar occasions um, that had a certain kind of public aspect to them or they were written in blogs or uh, that sort of thing. And so the title of the book ended up being Lessons in Secular Criticism. Um, I wondered why lessons and also, of course, what is secular criticism? Could you talk a little bit more about this? Right. I mean, you know, secular criticism is a term that belongs to, to Edward Said, you know, the, the great uh, Palestinian... Uh, American-Palestinian uh, literary critic and, and thinker, who in many ways was one of my mentors. And um, and the term is not defined, uh, really, as, as I never was fond of doing. He, he And I my argument is that it's it makes sense that it wasn't defined precisely because it is a more of a practice than, a, let's say, a theory. 
and um, it um, pertains to an, a critical attitude towards the world that understands itself to be in the world, uh, engaged with all the fraught elements of worldly life uh, and the contradictions and the disjunctions um, um, in 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 uh, in worldly life, um, as opposed to let's say some kind of theoretical position that's disengaged that that has uh, a sense of itself as a kind of totalizing uh, mode of explanation of things that go on. Um, so I felt that um, what I was engaged in for a while now, it's, it's not a new idea, was a practice of secular criticism. Um, and just to say that it's not exactly what Said would do. It's not about doing a kind of Saidian criticism. That itself is a kind of questionable idea. But it's certainly inspired by him. Um, now, the lessons, that's an interesting... Uh, I don't know how I came up with that idea, except that I thought... I think the lectures themselves uh, brought that out, the nature of, of the public, as I said, aspect to it. Uh, at the same time, um, I, I was uh, drawn... Uh, to, I'm drawn to the idea of lessons. It's not that I'm giving the lessons to somebody, someone else. It's that we, are, we partake of a certain lesson insofar as we engage uh, critically with the world, and the meaning we're learning at the same time as we are... Uh, you know, conducting a mode of knowledge, or, or um, uh, which is always to be questioned and, and engaged critically. So that's how the lessons came about. In the the, the introduction uh, in the book, there's the, the introduction addresses a famous text by by a, a French uh, author, uh, Roland Barthes, who who uh, it was his inaugural address at the Sorbonne when he, when he finally had an academic job. Barthes was an extraordinary critic non-academic, which is called simply leçon, you know, a lesson, uh, and um, there he speaks uh, beautifully, I think, and re in, really in resonance with, with what I was doing about uh, uh, dreaming one's research allow aloud, that sort of dreaming aloud one's, one's research is, is really the mode in, uh, in, with which one, uh, as a teacher, let's say, engages with, with, uh, with the world. Mm -hmm. I found that really resonant. Right, and how have audiences responded to this, for example, in, in Sydney, or what are some of the reactions you received from people? Well, they were varied. You know, there were also audience responses uh, because these the broadcasts, uh, the, I mean, on the uh, ABC, you know, Australian Broadcasting Corporation, uh, uh, there's a website, and, and uh, there, was, there was a commentary, sort of anonymous commentary on the website, as well as direct audience response. Um, the direct audience response I found very uh, uh, inspiring and, and challenging because it came oftentimes from non-academics, people who were really trying to figure out w how what I was saying pertained to their to their life, to living, you know, in the in the world. And so I had to field such questions, very personal and, and speculative, but also really immediate for them. Uh, and there were some, you know, in the blogs particularly, there were some objections. You know, the writing is at times polemical. It takes, certainly takes positions. So there were some objections to uh, some of the ways that I was phrasing things. But I thought that's, I think, is a good thing. And, and, you know, the point of this kind of writing is to provoke um, thinking and debate. Yes, that's in fact one of the things I appreciated most about the book. The fact that I really feel you're trying to foster in it um, a culture of debate, uh, something that you call in the book, a shared space of contentious thinking together. Was that indeed one of the, the, the projects behind this, this book? Yes, I, I, I've been 
I've been trying to 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 think and, and work in those terms for years now. This is not this is not a new idea. I, I think that it it's perhaps more successful in this book than in previous books because I took an effort uh, in writing in a different way than I had done before. Um, but it seems to me, yes, that that, that uh, you know, academic culture tends to be uh, how, how should I put it? Um, it tends to be too polite, uh, or 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 I mean, the professional framework of academic culture makes people afraid uh, to uh, to you know take a risk and, and stake out a position, be uh, willing to be confronted uh, by someone else for this position, and uh, and then this leads to a rather I think. Um, you know, how can I put it, uh, rather boring uh, exchange of ideas, uh, which is, I think, also not just boring, it's just ineffectual in terms of uh, both the pedagogical aspect, which, you know, we, as professors, we are teachers primarily, uh, but also in, as intellectuals, um, um, it, it, it leads to kind of insular, uh, self-satisfied uh, discussion, where others are, are oftentimes excluded. Um, you know, I don't believe that critique is neutral. You know, there, there's no, there's no, there's no particular standpoint from which one can conduct critique that's above the fray, and I think a, a lot of uh, academic work tends to do that. So sometimes people think I'm I'm being polemical, and they say that in a negative sense, and sometimes I am polemical, but I, I, but it is really a way of, uh, in some ways, entering. The difficulties of the, of uh, of uh, the, the the difficulties of the contradictions of the world, where where things cannot be easily explained and solved, and you have to make decisions, you have to take positions, and you have to account, be accountable for those positions. I noted uh, at the beginning that you're also a poet. Uh, the relation between poetry and philosophy is absolutely central uh, to your work, not just to this book, but also to your previous uh, uh, books. Could you talk a little bit more about the role of poetry and more specifically perhaps poiesis uh, in lessons in secular criticism? Yes. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm a poet and, and uh, I, you know, I've been a poet for... <laughs> for most of my life, in some ways, certainly before I was an academic, and uh, my interest in philosophy, I think, drew me to a certain kind of ac academic, uh, both a profession and, and a kind of writing. But uh, philosophers have never accepted uh, uh, me as a philosopher, perhaps correctly. I'm not a trained philosopher, uh, and I've heard often this kind of thing from early on. Well, you know, you're more of a poet than a philosopher. So I've been pondering that. Uh, as an issue, um, you know, poetry. With the, there's, there's of course a, a certain uh, skill in the techne, you know, of, of poetry, uh, and and uh, as it is a philosophy, but poesis is a broader, which is the Greek word for poetry, uh, um, is is a much broader notion for me. It's uh, uh, it pertains to the humanity's capacity to to create forms, uh, perhaps even forms that are. Uh, Unprecedented or or or, uh, or inconceivable before they are created. Uh, that radical capacity to imagine uh, things otherwise is what I call poesis. Um, and so, in that sense, poetic thinking yeah, it goes beyond simply the capacity to think poetically, literally speaking. Let's say, writing verses. 
uh, it pertains to a way of thinking that uh, isn't re doesn't rely entirely on an analytical framework or a, a propositional framework that it, that is not afraid to be speculative, to be metaphorical, um, aphoristic, um, um, and in fact inventive. Uh, that doesn't it doesn't rely so much on having to explicate and build upon arguments that others have made necessarily though I'm obviously engaging always with other thinkers. Um, I also think that's part of secular criticism, I mean, uh, in, in the way that I defined it before, or the way I, I spoke about it before. Yes, I was going to ask you, is that where literature's relation to secular criticism exists? Yes, first of all, uh, I hate secular criticism. The notion itself comes out of literary studies. I mean, it's, a, it's a very explicitly. Um, and uh, second, yes, I think that... Um, I, I think that those people from the literary studies world, world will recognize how what I do here, though it doesn't, uh, the specific book doesn't deal with literary text per se in the way other books of mine have. They will understand that um, that um, it's a literary study sensibility, if I can say it that way, that, uh, that, in, uh, um, that affects the way this book is conducted or that... that uh, that influences in, in a certain direction, pushes it in a certain direction. Stathis, you note in the book that you're writing two other books uh, at the moment, both of which are nearly finished and both of which are closely related to this project. One's titled Perils of the One, the other Nothing Sacred. Could you talk briefly about what you will be covering in those books and do you already know when they're going to appear well i don't know when they're going to appear but uh because it would depend on me finishing them first um but they're not these books precede this this the less lessons of secular criticism this is the the thing here i mean lessons of secular criticism is a book that came out on because of a specific occasion and uh, it's in some ways it's already a reflection on what i have been doing these other books are a little more uh, involved. The Perils of the One particularly is a more scholarly book or, or a book that has, uh, that has very uh, and, uh, um, long involvement, in, it's long form involvement in, in, the, in uh, the arguments of the text I'm dealing with. Uh, and it's been, I've been writing it for about 10 years now. Um, it's, um, it's a book that's trying to deal with the, the uh, the notion that modern forms of political thinking are, in essence, monarchical. By this, I don't mean yeah, books that talk about royalty or monarchy in a direct sense, but they're literally, uh, uh, literally books that understand um, authority to be singular and unitary. Uh, and uh, even if, in fact, they yeah, um, manifest that by plural forms. For, so, for example, the modern state though it claims to be a plural state, at least in so-called democratic societies, my argument is it's still operating, is operating in a, according to a monarchical logic. And uh, this has a lot to do with discussions of sovereignty and a lot of things that have been, uh, obviously, are, are very uh, current in, in a debate. And uh, it goes back from, it, it has, deals with ancient texts as much as, as very, very modern texts. And, the, and uh, Nothing Sacred is closer in style to Lessons in Secular Criticism, but definitely, again, long form. These are the, it's, it's very two very long essays, one on 
the relationship of democracy to anarchy and, and to anarchy literally in again the, the sense that the RK is uh, open to question and uh, and 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 uh, shared uh, uh, so that it cannot be singular um, and then uh, it, that also involves the discussion of violence and democracy and all kinds of other things again ancient and modern and then the other essays on uh, on the significance of humanism today and, and the understanding of the human um, in relation to the non-human, the post-human, again, these are current debates. Um, and I call it nothing sacred uh, because of the following, uh, because of the following thought. I I, um, I realized at one point that there are certain pillars of, of enlightenment thinking, uh, let's say, uh, but democracy is one of them. The hum humanism is another. Uh, modernity could be another. There are various, you know. But um, the the thing that interests me about them is is that these these pillars which claim to desacralize society. This was the Enlightenment project in favor of some kind of rationalism. Um, turned out to create sort of sacred spaces of themselves or of their own. Uh, and the world that we live in today, in the twenty first century, is to a large extent, not just in the West, uh, the result of the resacralization of these allegedly desacralizing uh, notions, entities, conceptions, and so on. So my, I thought the wager for me would be to see if there is any way that these really gigantic, as I say, formations, if there's anything in them that could conduct a desacralization of themselves yet again, a kind of double dialectical move, if that can be said that way. So nothing sacred is that. That's the impetus for it. But I didn't want it to be a monster book, yet another sort of 500-page book, so, so I'm concentrating on these two aspects. Mm -hmm. And that last move is a move you also perform in Lessons. Secular yes. criticism in the chapter Detranscendentalizing the Secular, for example. It's uh, something like that that's being described there as well. Similar operation. Right, and I think that that's what... If there is a, I said that secular criticism is not a theory, but there's a certain task involved in that. I mean, it's practice. So that would be, if we could sort of isolate the task of secular criticism, it would be to seek out uh, those elements in certain structures that have become ingrained. They're structures coming from the world and they're in the world, but they've become ingrained in such a way as to believe that they exceed the world, they become sort of otherworldly. To see what, in might exist in those structures that can be that can help undo them from within in a sense all right thank you so much Stadis. this podcast was hosted by the philosophy and critical theory genre section of the los angeles review of books and produced by the los angeles review of books available at lareviewofbooks.org thank you